This episode is sponsored by Third Love. If you are anything like me, ladies, you know that it's difficult to find a really comfortable bra, one that you don't just want to take off first thing at the end of the day. This holiday season, you should give yourself the gift of Third Love. It's an exciting new lingerie brand that uses real women's measurements, that's you and me and the rest of us, to create better fitting bras. Third Love offers a 100% fit guarantee. Returns and exchanges are always free. You can try their best-selling 24-7 t-shirt bra for free for 30 days. Just cover the shipping. Start your trial now at thirdlove.com slash books. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 83, and today we are talking about books released on November 29th, 2016, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow podcast, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Good afternoon. We're getting back into the swing. Mm, yes. If, kind if of. If by swing you mean talking about books, then definitely. Yeah, we are back swung. Into- we are swung uh, back into the kind of normal feeling post Book Riot Live. We're post Thanksgiving. We're like settling in for the end of the year. Um, maybe we should give our listeners a preview for the next couple weeks of the show. Um, December is really pretty slow for new releases. So next week we're going to do uh, one show that wraps up the best new books of December. Uh, and then after that, we'll do a week of the best fiction of the year and a week of the best nonfiction of the year. Best being our favorites. Uh, Cause let's, not pretend that objectivity is a thing. Uh, and then at the end of the year on December 27th, we'll do an episode that is a 2017 preview show about some of the books that we are most anticipating for the new year. So we'll have a little wrap up and a little looking forward over these next couple weeks. I just read a book that comes out in August of next year. Man, <laughs> this it is like how like- far ahead I'm reading. 2016 has been like so awful that I don't think my brain believes yet that 2017 is going to be real, like that we're actually going to get to 2017. And I've been getting mail too for like April and May publications and it just feels crazy. Um, But I'm ready to start thinking about a new year. That'll be nice. Yeah, I'm ready. I've already read like a ton of great stuff, so I'm prepared I think the only 2017 release that I've read so far is um, Jamie Attenberg's novel, All Grown Up, which I talked about a few weeks ago. If you were only um, going to read one book from next year, that's like, perfectly acceptable. I mean, one. and it's, it's going to be a contender for my favorite. Yeah. So, so there you go. You're we'll all set. See. Take the year off. I know. That's it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> this podcast is going to get real interesting. <laughs> Um, and over these next couple of weeks, hopefully I'll get a jump start on 2017 while we're doing our wrap up shows. Uh, you switched up our order today. I did. I did. I like to, you know, keep things lively. All right. Keep me on Super swung. So, so. <laughs> you get to start. All right. Uh, so my first pick this week actually is a book that's out today. It's called Searching for John Hughes. It's by Jason Diamond. This is a memoir through the lens of wanting to write a biography of John Hughes, the filmmaker, you know, of Ferris Bueller and The Breakfast Club and Pretty in Pink and the Home Alone movies and so much more. Uh, Jason, I guess, full disclosure, is a friend of the show. Uh, we have both known him for several years. He's a great writer. And so you should read this book, whether we liked it or not, but we both did really like it. Uh, He grew up in Chicago in the 
early 80s through the 90s and had a really tough childhood. Uh, his father was abusive physically and verbally. Uh, he maybe had ADD or ADHD. His parents uh, carted him back and forth to a whole lot of different doctors and psychologists and really taught him that there was something wrong with him, that he was a bad kid, that he was never going to be normal. And watching the John Hughes movies where somehow, no matter how bad things go in the beginning, whether your parents forget that it's your birthday or you're, you literally live on the wrong side of the tracks and you can't get the boy that you you want or the girl that you want, um, everything ends up okay. And he found so much hope in those movies uh, that as he got out of high school and uh, started trying to figure out a career for himself, he sort of settled on this notion, despite not really knowing anything about how to write a book, how to write at all, really, how to research, that he would write the definitive John Hughes biography. So he moves to New York. He gets jobs at coffee shops. He's like stumbling his way through, reading every interview that he can find, reading tons of research, interviewing people that worked on the different John Hughes movies. But he's never successful in getting to John Hughes himself, um, or getting an agent for this book about John Hughes and what the Brat Pack movies meant to a generation of kids. But he keeps sort of toiling away at it, even though he's a tortured writer at this point. He's doing the whole thing. He's like living in his small, dirty Brooklyn apartment, getting drunk a lot, feeling very sorry for himself, dealing with depression, also trying to recover from what his childhood was. And he eventually figures out it's not so much about writing a biography of John Hughes, it's about figuring out who he is in the process of trying to write this book. He becomes a writer. He starts a website. He eventually gets real writing gigs. He develops a career for himself. He meets the woman who becomes his wife. And so this memoir is really the story of Jason's life. Um, and it's a, it's a gorgeous and sad and ultimately hopeful, just like a John Hughes movie memoir, um, through the story of uh, finding himself in these movies and then struggling to tell the story and ultimately accepting that this thing that he thought was his goal was not actually his goal, but that's okay uh, because something better has come out of the fact that he won't be writing the John Hughes biography. Now he can write his own story, uh, literally. And it's wonderful. The book is so, so great. I wanted to like call Jason up on the phone and be like, buddy, I had no idea. <laughs> um, and here's an extra hug for you. He's such an interesting, smart guy. The book is really Really wonderful. Um, again, it is called Searching for John Hughes. I second everything you said. Yay. He's so great. He is. Don't you just want to, like, can we mail him a well redheads hug? I know. It, it's, it's so interesting to read about people that you've known, like, for many years, mm -hmm. but, like, not known that well. You know, it was, it was very interesting. It was. And also, the book cover is hot pink and matches my hair. Yeah. Bonus. Which, definitely important. Bonus. I What's up for you? Now, I, too, am going to talk about a book that comes out today. It is called Moranifesto by Catelyn Moran. Uh, she wrote the essay collection How to Be a Woman. She wrote the, I think, seriously underrated novel How to Build a Girl that came out a couple years ago. And she's fabulous. She, You probably know who she is. She's a columnist for the London Times. Um, she's very outspoken. She's very funny. Um, and this is a new collection of essays uh, that were published in the Times about all kinds of things. Um, politics, celebrity, uh, going out, staying in, feminism, Hillary Clinton, Daft Punk, evil printers. Um, she wrote this really funny thing about how like printers are like the biggest racket going. And it's pretty much true. They're just the worst. Um, she's just remarkably funny and smart. And 
she's she's incredible. She's and she's like self-made. She's she's she dropped out of school I think when she was 11. Her parents took her out of school. She was the oldest of 8. Um she grew up in England and she realized like she her her family was not wealthy at all. Like they were very poor and they were um in the in a program like getting assistance and she tells this story. I I watched a bunch of interviews with her and she was telling the story how she was talking to her neighbor who was very like against people getting, you know, assistance and all this stuff. And she accidentally told this, like, elderly woman, like, oh, my family gets assistance. And she got, like, sort of berated for it. And she was like, oh, no, this woman's going to figure out a way to take away my family's assistance. And we're all going to starve to death, so I need to make money. I'm going to write a novel. So she she thought that that would be a good way to make money. And she did. At at 13 years old, she sat down and she wrote a novel. Like, it's amazing. And then she kept writing, and she became a columnist at the age of 16 for Melody Maker. And then at the age of 18, she had a pop show about music. I mean, she's she's incredible. Um, and now she has her own teenage daughters, and she's doing this, she says, for them. She wants to make the world a better place. And she has a lot of really interesting ideas. She's, she feels that, like, women are afraid to say things, especially now in the age of the internet, like... They're afraid to say what they're thinking because someone might say, no, you're wrong, and then everybody shouts them down, and, and that's it. They're afraid of that. And she thinks that everyone out there has, like, one idea that will help change the world. And she wants to hear everyone's ideas, and she wants to share her ideas. She thinks that you don't have to be an expert in something to have an opinion on it, which is obviously, like, the definition of the internet. But she thinks <laughs> that there's a lot, of, a lot of great ideas. She thinks that humor, not outrage, will help get the point across. And... She's she's just really, really inspiring. And like I said, super funny. Um, and like in when I read How to Build a Woman, she does this little thing about how her name is spelled Caitlin, but she likes to pronounce it Catlin. But I thought it was a joke, but then I was watching an interview with her. She's like, I'm Catlin Moran. And I was like, oh, she's not kidding. Um, she's she's awesome. And yeah, I just could keep babbling about her. But <laughs> I, I just have so much respect for her, you know. I'm really into, like, the whole autodidact lifestyle. You know, she's brilliant. I mean, look at how far she's come. She's incredible. Again, it is called Moranifesto by Catelyn Moran. I have got to read her. Every time she has a book out, I'm like, oh, I should read that. And I just always miss the boat. She can she can write about anything and make it hilarious. You know, and it's like, you don't always have to agree with her, you know. But, like, she's, sure. she's reasonable and she's, you know, polite and kind about everything you know so that helps very good hey who's our first sponsor this week our first sponsor is the novice by taryn matheru it is a book it's the first book it's like hey it's a book oh my goodness i can you tell i couldn't get the tab open (laughs) (laughs) vamping vamping now we're vamping it's the first book in the trilogy and let me tell you what it's about. It says, he can summon demons, but can he win a war? Fletcher is working as a blacksmith's apprentice when he discovers that he has the rare ability to summon demons from another world. I wonder how you just like go along and you're like, oops, that happened. Um, Chased from his village for a crime he did not commit, Fletcher must travel with this demon, Ignatius, to an academy for adepts where the gifted are taught the art of summoning. Along with nobles and commoners, Fletcher endures grueling lessons that will prepare him to serve as a battle mage in the Empire's war against the savage orcs. But sinister forces infect new friendships and rivalries grow. With no one but Ignatius by his side, Fletcher must decide where his loyalties lie. The fate of the Empire is in his hands. 
it's probably it probably helps to have a demon on your side you know when you're a demon named ignatius yeah yeah which is awesome it is awesome yeah um also from November 23rd, which is past us now, to December 5th, this book, which is a New York Times bestseller, is downpriced to $2.99, the ebook is. Um, so you can find The Novice by Taryn. You said it's Matharu? Mm-hmm. Uh, at your favorite ebook retailer for $2.99 or go to fiercereads.com to check it out. We'll also have a link in the show notes. Yeah. And the other, the second book is already out, I believe. Yes, the Inquisition is already on sale, and the third book in the trilogy will go on sale in May of next year. All right, so you can get going, and you don't have to wait that long to finish them all. No, because 2017 will happen no matter what we think. I Well, apparently. There's still like six weeks. It could... Who knows? Um, Okay, so speaking of good series, this is a surprise new release that I found out about on Friday, and it's out today for our listeners, the 29th of November. It's called Ghost Girl in the Corner by Daniel Jose Older. Uh, this is an ebook novella. It's out from Scholastic. And this is in the Shadowverse, which if you read Shadow Shaper last year, which was a Book Riot favorite and like a universal internet favorite, that book was excellent, uh, then you will definitely want to pick this up. Uh, Shadow Shaper is about a the novel that came out last year is about a girl named Sierra who finds out that uh, there are supernatural forces at work in Brooklyn and she is part of it. She's a shadow shaper, which means that she can channel spirits into works of art. Um, and in the book, Sierra teaches some of her friends how to shadow shape. Um, the Ghost Girl in the Corner, this new novella, is about T, a good friend of Sierra's, who is uh, taking over the printing press where Manny, who uh, died in the first book, uh, is no longer alive. And so he's no longer able to run the local neighborhood paper in Bed-Stuy. T is going to take it over. We see her uh, sort of getting settled in this new job, managing some other teenagers who are also writing for the local paper. Um, And she's kind of on the outs with her girlfriend, Izzy. And then one day she goes into the church basement where the printing press lives, and there is a ghost girl standing in the corner. Uh, T doesn't know who the girl is, but she uses her shadow shaping skills her very rudimentary beginner shadow shaping skills to channel the ghost girl into the printing press. And the ghost girl types the words, help her. And then T has to figure out who it is that she is supposed to be helping. Meanwhile, uh, a woman who's well-known in the neighborhood who plays on one of the local baseball teams goes missing. Maybe it's her that they have to help. Maybe she's connected to a past crime. Who knows? And that is what this novella is about. In Daniel Jose Older tradition, it is fun. It's funny. The voices of the characters are such a delight to read. Um, they talk the way that real people and real teenagers in Brooklyn talk. Um, T's girlfriend, Izzy, is a rapper. And so we also get to read great, hilarious lyrics uh, to some of the raps that she performs in, in the context of the story. And the book is suspenseful and scary. It's just, it was so much fun. I read it in one sitting yesterday. I felt so lucky that I got to read this as a sneak peek before it comes out as a surprise for the rest of us. Um, I also talked a few weeks ago about Daniel Jose Older's Bone Street Rumba series, uh, which starts with Half Resurrection Blues. And that I think a really cool thing that he does is that all of his books, the young adult books and the adult books, which the Bone Street Rumba series are, are set sort of in this same universe. Uh, The stories don't overlap, but some of the same characters get mentioned. And you would just have this sense that there are uh, things happening in New York 
work that are beyond what most of us see or know about uh, in Older's World. It's just great. Uh, if you ha- have read Shadow Shaper, you definitely want to pick up Ghost-, Ghost Girl in the Corner. It's an ebook novella again out today by Daniel Jose Older. Millie is super excited about Daniel Jose She is. I, like, I started talking and she's like standing outside my office door barking and I was like, well, I'm talking now, so I can't just like mute myself and yell at her, which is what I normally do. So we'll just assume that uh, Daniel was getting the Basset Hound like cheerleader stamp of approval. <laughs> What's oh. up next for you? I am going to talk about some things now. Um, not all okay. at once. Like, just one at this time um, that I've already read. Uh, but this is probably my favorite nonfiction book of the year, and I feel like giving it another shout-out. It's called Blood in the Water, the Attica Prison Uprising of 1971 and its Legacy by Heather Ann Thompson. Um, I don't think I talked about it on the show before. I mentioned it no, in the newsletter. it sounds new. Um, it came out in September or August. It's, it's incredible. Um, if you are not familiar with the Attica Prison Uprising... On September 9th, 1971, 1,300 Attica State Correctional Faci- Facility prisoners uh, took over the prison in a, in protest of their mistreatment for like for many many years. They felt like they had been treated poorly. It was a, a horrible, awful place, um, and they took the guards hostage and they protested and they fought and you know general chaos. And on September 13th. The government sent in armed troops and correctional facility officers to overthrow the prisoners, and 39 men were killed, prisoners and correctional officers, as well as 100 more were wounded. And it's, like, this horrible, horrible, awful, you know, part of history. What ended up happening is that only prisoners were prosecuted for, for the uprising. Um, No charges were ever brought against the officials involved. No support was given to any of the families either prisoners or correctional facility officers, like, who were killed or wounded. It was just this really dark spot on, you know, uh, in American history. And we only saw it... I say we uh, we weren't born yet, but um, p- the, the news only showed it from, like, one side. It was like, the prisoners are really bad, and this needs to stop. You know, they didn't tell the other side, like, why they were, why they were doing this, really. And now, like, 45 years later, Heather Ann Thompson has written this amazing, amazing account of everything that went on. Um, Documents regarding what happened in the prison have only recently been made available. And even then, like, she talks about how she found this big, giant stash of documents and and papers regarding the uprising um, in this weird storage space. And she started to visit them and read them for her book, and then one day she went there and they were gone, and they were like, oh, we don't know what you're talking about, we don't know where they are. Um, They're still trying to cover things up. There have been lawsuits going on for 40 years from the families and the victims of the people involved, and it's just this really shocking, like, amazing account. Um, It it shows, like, how the media plays a role. Like, it's another thing that we're seeing, you know, it's like, history repeats itself, like, what a big role the media played in, like, getting information and misinformation out to the public. And it's also, like, another example of, like, should you trust your government? Um, have you ever read Full Body Burden? Do you know that book? It's, I know it, but I haven't read it. Oh, my goodness. That's another great example. Just made me think of it. If you want to read about, like, whether or not you should trust your government, there's a book called uh, Full Body Burden, Growing Up in the Nuclear Shadow of Rocky Flats by Kristen Iverson, which is about how there was a nuclear facility in Colorado and they didn't tell the people that lived there and... Anyway, this book 
incredible, an incredible account of, like, civil rights and just, you know, history and the wrongs that are done by people and covered up. Again, it's called Blood in the Water, the Attica Prison Uprising of 1971 and its Legacy by Heather Ann Thompson. Whew. All right. Serious. Very serious. But so, Uh, so important and good. Yeah. I'm going to pick up a thread from a couple of weeks ago because I finally did, now that my reading parts are working again, read The Book of Unknown Americans by Christina Henriquez. Uh, This came out a couple of years ago. I remember hearing a ton about it when it came out, and I just never got around to it in 2014. So it's been out in paperback for a while, and I finally got to pick it up this weekend, and I really, really loved it. Uh, The story is about the Rivera family. They move from Mexico to Delaware um, after their daughter Maribel who is a gorgeous teenage girl, has an accident that results in a traumatic brain injury. Uh, She is kind of herself still. Her family gets like, her parents get glimmers of her, but she has some pretty significant uh, cognitive deficits and she needs to go to a special school. Um, So her parents think the best thing that they can do is move to the U.S. where they can get her into a special school and they've chosen the neighborhood that they've chosen because it's relatively near the Pennsylvania border and the husband, Arturo, Maribel's father, can get a job at a, a mushroom farm there. So when the story opens, the Riveras are in a truck being driven by someone that they've paid to help get them from Mexico into the United States. They've gotten their papers. They've been waiting almost a year to be able to make this move. Uh, and they end up in an apartment building that is filled with other people from Mexico and Latin America and diaspora which is that fun new word that we learned a couple of weeks ago. Um, so Alma, the mother, Maribel's mother, narrates most of the story. Um, she tells us about their family's history, about how they have moved to the U.S., about struggling to adapt to the new environment. They don't speak much English. They don't have a car. She doesn't know where to go to get groceries or uh, who to talk to to learn to speak English. They're having trouble advocating for their daughter to get into the right school that they've moved there for her to get into. Also narrating the book is a teenage boy named Mary. Mayor Toro, he and his family moved uh, to the same neighborhood, to the same building from Panama several years prior, and Mayor develops a crush on Maribel, and they develop sort of an unlikely friendship. And so he tells us about his family's life, about their history, about their immigrant experience, and also about his hopes and his experiences as a teenage boy and this confusing relationship that he has with Maribel. Um, Those are the two main threads of the story, but we also get interstitial chapters where all the different residents of the building uh, in one chapter each tell us their story about where they came from and why they came to the United States and what has been good about it and what has been not good about it, how it has lived up and been different um, from the expectations that they had. This feels just like a very uh, fleshed out, fully imagined look at the immigrant experience, which of course is not a monolith. And so Christina Henriquez does that really beautifully by giving us, you know, two two primary voices, but then a whole bunch of other voices who um, are, there's enough of them that we get the idea as readers that these are like 15 ways to have the immigrant experience, but just 15 out of countless ones. Um, we also see uh, Alma struggling with the the desire to see Maribel come back to who she really is and recover, and then also really struggling to accept the fact that her daughter is probably never going to grow up to be the woman that they thought she would be because of the impairments that she has from her injury and her parents' fears about 
what will happen to her out in the world as a beautiful girl, soon to be a beautiful woman who is not completely aware of what's happening to her and is not able to take care of herself, what might happen at the hands of teenage boys or men. Um, There's just so much going on in the book. There are moments of lightness. There are these great moments of hope and love, but also so much pain and such a gap between the American dream and the reality for many of these characters. It's just so well written. I'm really glad that I finally picked it up. I wish that I had not waited so long. And again, it's called The Book of Unknown Americans by Christina Henriquez. I'm going to read it soon. You should. It is excellent. Um, Do you want to hear about our last sponsor before I give you the floor again? Yes, please. Okay. Madison Reed is back. Uh, Madison Reed has a simple mission, which is to make luxurious at-home hair color with ingredients that you can feel good about. So it's salon quality hair color with an authentic personal touch that you do yourself at home. Madison Reed is so passionate about you loving your hair color that they have expert colorists to support you every step of the way. They bring the prestige pampered salon experience to the time-saving and money-saving convenience of your home, and you'll get shiny, beautiful, natural-looking hair color with Madison Reed. There's a really cool tool on the website where you tell it um, what hair color you're starting with and what hair color you want to end up with, and it helps you determine the right formula. Madison Reed is made with ingredients that you can feel good about and is the first ever six-free permanent hair color. It's free of ammonia, parabens, resorcinol, PPD, phthalates, and gluten. It's crafted in Italy just outside of Milan, and the hair color is infused with nutrient-rich keratin, argan oil, and ginseng root to help protect and pamper your your hair like never before. It also offers 100% gray coverage and the support of Madison Reed expert colorists who will guide you every step of the way so that you can color your hair at home with total confidence. They have over 40 shades to choose from. You can take the online color quiz, which uh, I just mentioned, and is guaranteed to give you a 100% shade match. So go to madison-reed, that's R-E-E-D.com today. Try it, love it. Your satisfaction and happiness are guaranteed and you'll get 10% off plus free shipping with your first color kit when you use the code all the books so that's madison-read.com and use the code all the books all one word to get 10 percent off plus free shipping on your first order fantastic woohoo okay lady let's start to bring it home all right well we still got some more to go yeah we're just like in the last segment okay all right I'll, i was like no i have things i want to talk about yeah, Millie finally got quiet, so we can keep doing this show. <laughs> um, so, this is another book that I think is so fantastic, and I didn't discuss it on the show when it came out, and I wish that more people would read it, so I'm going to tell you about it now. It's called Girl Man's Up by M.E. Gerard. Uh, it's about a 16-year-old girl named Penn. Penn is short for Penelope. She lives in Toronto. Penn is a girl, like I mentioned, but she prefers to look and act like a boy. Um, but as she gets older, she finds that she's sort of growing out of, like, where people think she's a tomboy and just think, like, it's sort of weird that she wants to look and act like a boy. Um, so things have become a little bit harder for her as she's getting older. And like I said, she's 16 now. Um, and she's starting to have some problems with people. They want her to stop being something that she isn't, specifically her parents. Her parents are not very supportive. Um, they they don't understand, you know, why she wants to look and act like a boy Um, She has a best friend named Colby. He's becoming sort of a bully. He's sort of like this ladies' man. He uses pen to help help him pick up girls. 
Um, and she's got these guy friends who are sort of jerks to her about her appearance. And on top of that, she's having more problems in her family. Her older brother has been kicked out of the house. And that's really hard for her. And she just feels like the whole like LGBTQ community has these expectations from her. They want her to like pick like which specific group she belongs to and she just wants to be herself and she doesn't feel like she needs to have a label or explain, you know, what she wants to do or how she feels or who she wants to love. And so she's having a really hard time. The one good thing about her life right now is that she has a crush on a girl named Blake and Blake has finally noticed her. And so things are looking pretty good in that department. But this is just, it's its so fantastic. It's just this fierce and gritty and, like, wholly heartfelt look at gender and identity. Um, there's a lot about bullying and, you know, community. Penn's, in, like, Penn's refusal to conform to anyone's idea of how she should be is, like, the driving force of the book. Like, she just wants to be happy. She wants people to be nice. She wants to be able to do what she wants. And she, she doesn't want to give up on those ideas, you know, for anybody, whether it makes her parents happy or not, or whether it makes her friends happy or not, or whether, you know, society tells her, you know, how she should behave. Um, it's really, I think it's a really important, fabulous novel. And again, it's called The Girl Man's Up by M.E. Gerard. Okay. Uh, I don't have a good segue, so I'm just going to go into my last go for it. of the week. It's The Clancy's of Queens by Tara Clancy. Uh, this is a memoir about growing up in a working class family in Queens. And Tara Clancy was one of our speakers at Book Riot Live. And I think it's fair to say that like she stole the show. Oh, my goodness. Every panel that she was on. Um, she's a storyteller. She's on the Moth podcast and so many other things. And she's had essays in a jillion places. And her sort of running pitch for the book is that no one had written a story about working class women in Queens since A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Uh, or working class women of New York, obviously, because those are different boroughs, um, since A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. And so she was going to do it. Um, she was so compelling and so funny and smart and surprising at Book Riot Live that I just had to read the the book and she has this amazing uh, Queen's accent and this totally expressive voice. So I've been listening to the Clancy's of Queens on audio and it's just phenomenal. Uh, she starts with her childhood growing up in a small neighborhood in Queens. Uh, she calls it like the geriatric corner where her grandparents and a bunch of other retired folks live. And she spends a lot of time there uh, with her grandparents, her grandmother, who is a total character. Um, her parents get divorced when she's very young and her father remains sort of blue collar, working class, takes her to the bar with him. She knows all the regulars uh, on the times that she's with him. Her mother uh, starts off as a cleaning person and works her way up into different jobs uh, with this wealthy guy that she eventually falls in love with and ends up partnering with. And he has like a huge home in the Hamptons. And so sometimes Tara is at her father's small house, which is basically like a shed in Queens. And the rich guy's limo pulls up to pick her up and take her to the week to the um, home in the Hamptons for the weekend where she will like drive her little Hot Wheels thing around the property and survey all of the land that belongs to her. And so she sort of has this split childhood and these two very different experiences and very different ways of growing up in New York uh, that give her such an interesting perspective. And it's just a really an interesting life. And a, I think she has a real talent for finding humor in some of the dark moments. Um, there's a story sort of early in the book about how her grandparents, everyone in her family really was very open about death and they refer to it as croaking 
like no one applied euphemisms like has passed on when they were talking about someone dying. And so she was never shocked, really, when one of the older people in her life died. Um, But she's in church with her grandma one day and there's this hymn, Here I Am, Lord. And her grandma like alters the wording to the hymn to say, like, take me now, Lord, I'm ready to croak and sings it out in her queen's voice. And Tara Clancy sings it out in her queen's accent uh, on the audiobook, And it's just hilarious um, and such a it feels like you, then you get such a sense of who these people were, what their family life really was like. And so I think uh, I, while I was expecting um, it to be a little more of like a wide lens look at working class experiences in Queens from what she talked about at Book Riot Live, this is really just an excellent memoir um, and such a pleasure to listen to on audio. I think that she might be ruining me for all other audiobooks forever. I just want to hang out with Tara Clancy and just have her tell me about her life. So again, it's The Clancy's of Queens by Tara Clancy. Yeah, like the second she opened her mouth, she pretty much sold out all of her books. Yeah, no, right her, books, her books sold out at the event like twice. Yeah. And I think if we had had five times as many of them, we probably would have sold all of those also. She's just she's just like such a force. Yeah. And her voice is like part, is like its own character, really. You know, it's it like, it's like Fran Drescher in, in Nanny. It's just, it's amazing. Yeah, she's not just telling the story of her life. She's really performing her storytelling, and, and it's wonderful. Yay! <laughs> What's up for you? Last one. Last one. So um, I just had, like, a little, like, reading marathon. I know that sounds like every day of my life, but we didn't go anywhere for Thanksgiving. So for, like, the last four days, I just laid on the couch and read books and was like, Thor, like, bring me another! Like, just... <laughs> It, that's all I did was read it. This book pleases me. Yes. And, and it was awesome. And I read a bunch of stuff that uh, like came out a few months ago that I hadn't had a chance to get to, um, including this next book. And I thought I would talk about it because, as you know, Rebecca, it's, it's been kind of a long few months for me. <laughs> and now the yes. holidays are upon us. And I thought I would treat myself by talking about one of my favorite subjects, um, double axe murder. Uh, the Borden <laughs> double axe murders to be... Specific, um, I am obsessed with Lizzie Borden and and the murders that took place. Um, and I sort of have this, like, I don't know if I mentioned it before, but I have, like, this 100-year rule, like, for crimes. Like, Jack the Ripper uh. is, is, like, you know, I find him to be completely fascinating. Um, and so, like, if it's, like, if it's, like, over 100 years ago, I don't feel guilty about, like, being like, really interested in it. And so... That is the case with Lizzie Borden. And I just thought everybody knew who Lizzie Borden was, but then Wallace the other day was asking who she was, so I'll just give you, like, a brief little summary. Basically, um, the book is called The Borden Murders, Lizzie Borden and the Trial of the Century by Sarah Miller. And basically, Lizzie Borden was the O.J. Simpson of 1892. Um, in On August 4th of 1892, in Fall River, Massachusetts, uh, Lizzie Borden who was 32 at the time, she was at home and she called for the maid and said, go get the doctor, something has happened to father. And when they went into the living room, her father, Andrew Borden, was laying on the couch with his head caved in. Um, and the doctors come and everybody's looking around and like, like, how did this happen? All the doors are locked except for the basement. And they suddenly discover upstairs as they're looking around for like who could have caused this, uh, they find her stepmother also dead, laying on the floor upstairs. And so Lizzie Borden may or may not have committed this crime. She didn't behave in a way that people felt that she should. Like, she didn't cry, but she had, like, this really contentious relationship with her parents. There's, like, a million facts. They change all the time. I've read several accounts of this. 
Um, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, well, Lizzie was mad at her stepmother. Sometimes it's like, oh, she got along with her stepmother, but she was mad at her father. Um, by the end of the day, the police had decided that Lizzie Borden was most likely responsible for this act. Um, she had an uncle who was staying with her, who was her mother's uh, brother. Her mother had passed away when Lizzie was very young. He was visiting. She had an older sister who was at a friend's house when this took place. Um, but all suspicion fell on her. And so there was this huge trial. It was a really big deal. They were like, women don't behave like this. No woman could ever have committed this. And basically that's how the jury felt, and she was found not guilty, but a lot of people thought that she was guilty. And she lived in this town for the rest of her life with most of the people behaving as though, you know, she was guilty. Um, and it's just, no, like, there's no answer. Like, no one ever came forward. There's a million, you know, stories about what could have happened, who could have committed it. And it's like one of those crazy unsolved crimes that will drive us crazy, you know, for, for the, until the end of time. Like, no one will ever know. It's like Jack the Ripper, um, which I just find so fascinating. So I read this book. It's, it's a middle-grade novel, not novel, excuse me, a middle-grade nonfiction book um, about the case, full of facts, tons of fun. This weekend I also read the book that I mentioned earlier that comes out in August. It's a novel called See What I Have Done by Sarah Schmidt, which is a telling of the murders. And it's like this crazy, murdery, fever dream. It's amazing. I can't wait for everybody to read it. Um, so, yeah. So there's my, like, uh, ex-murder obsession <laughs> story. Um, it's it's great. I've actually, um, I could talk about it for, like, a half an hour of my experience, but I, I actually stayed at her house. You can go to her house. It's a and b now. And you can, like, I slept in her parents' bed. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. But I felt better when I found out that the author of See What I Have Done has also done the same thing. Um, it's it's pretty crazy. I hope that her publisher is listening and is going to put crazy murdery fever dream into a blurb on the front cover. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. Um, it, yeah, so that's, that's my last pick. Okay, well, what and- are you going to... <laughs> oh, sorry. I was cutting you off. Tell no, me about no. it. No, no, no. We can end on a happy murdery note. Um, <laughs> tell me, but f- please feel free to tweet me all your Lizzie Borden stories, all your Lizzie Borden theories, your Lizzie Borden B&B experiences. I want to hear about them. <laughs> um, yeah. And so now, um, what am I going to read next? Let's see. I kind of broke my brain with that readathon this last few days, so I need to reset it. I've been, I started a new World of Warcraft character this morning, but... Once I jump started again, I'm going to be reading Marlena by Julie Bunton, which is getting unbelievable reviews. It comes out next year in April. Um, it's about a 15-year-old girl who has kind of this, like, boring existence in Michigan until she meets her neighbor, who is, like, this wild teenager. Um, and by the end of the year, the her neighbor is dead. And now, like, decades later, this girl goes back, she's now a woman, to, like, learn about, you know, what actually happened um, during that time, that summer, that, that she knew the girl. It sounds awesome. What are you going to read next? I'm going to start my catching up on things that I missed this year, and I'm going to read Sweet Bitter by Stephanie Dandler, um, which I understand to be about a young woman who moves to New York in the early 2000s and gets a job at a restaurant, and that it encapsulates, like, that restaurant working experience with all the drama and melodrama and sex and secrets and who knows what else. Um, So I'm really looking forward to that. I've been wanting to read it forever and ever. um, And I think you talked about it on the show the week that it came out. So um, I picked some other things and I'm glad to be coming back around to it. It's showgirls in a restaurant. I am ready. Yeah. I have never been more ready. It's like 
I loved it. I, I've seen some things in Litzy, so people have not enjoyed it that much, but I thought it was, like, super dramatic and hilarious and very... The whole restaurant scene is done really well. Yeah, that's exactly what I need right now. So I'm I am here for showgirls in a restaurant. <laughs> Sentences I never thought I would say, but that are somehow very true. Uh, that's our show for the week. Thanks to our sponsors, Third Love. Go to thirdlove.com/books to start your free 30 day trial with the 24 seven t shirt bra. To the Novice by Taryn Matharu. You can find that wherever books are sold, or click a link in our show notes. The ebook, don't forget, is downpriced to two ninety nine through. December 5th if you need a sort of impulse buy to get you through the next couple weeks and to Madison Reed go to madison-reed.com and use the code all the books all one word to get 10% off and free shipping on your first color kit you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com if you've got thoughts questions a bunch of Lizzie Borden recommendations for Liberty whatever also hit us up on Twitter I'm Rebecca Shinsky S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y Liberty is Miss Liberty and if you've got a minute you want to give us a little holiday gift you can please please leave us a rating or review on iTunes. I would just like to say hello to Devin who sent us like the nicest email oh, it was the so other nice. day. Thank you, Devin. Yes. And I would also like to say that as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today and about historical axe murders, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.